Our title this morning is The Power of Influence. Influence is a wonderful force. Um, it can cause us to do many things that we want to do and many things that we don't want to do and all in between. But we're going to be looking at um, influence this morning. And we as the church have influence and we as human beings and individuals have influence. And we can use that influence for good. We can use it for bad. But also we have to be aware of other influences that come against us, such as bad and good influences that try to um, move and shape us and mold us in this world. So Second Chronicles chapter 14, um, just the first seven verses this morning with us, and then we'll pick up this morning. So we've been looking at this this last number of weeks, uh, King Asa, and we're just going to continue on as long as we feel led to do that. So I begin at verse one. So Abijah slept with his fathers, and they buried him in the city of David. And Asa, his son, reigned in his place, in his days the land had rest for ten years, and Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. He took away the foreign altars, the high places, and he broke down the pillars and cut down the Asherah poles. And he commanded Judah to seek the Lord, the God of their fathers, and to keep the law and the commandment. Verse 5. He also took out of all the cities of Judah the high places, the incense altars, and the kingdom had rest under his reign. He built fortified cities in Judah, for the land had rest, and he had no war in those years. For the Lord gave him peace. And he said to Judah, Let us build these cities and surround them with walls, with towers, with gates and bars. The land is ours, because we have sought the Lord our God. We have sought him, and he has given us peace on every side. And so they built and prospered. There's one verse that really stood out to me this morning. I want to share that with you this morning, or break into that this morning. We've already read it, but let me just read this one part again. King Asa said to the people of God, Let us build these cities and surround them with walls and towers, gates and bars, because the land is still ours. Why? Because we've sought the Lord our God. We have sought him, and he has given us peace on every side, and so they built and they prospered. And there's a picture of the Christian life, the need to build, and as we build and grow in God, indeed there's prospering in the things of God. The word spoken over our church this year you recall in years, was that this church was going to be a great light in the community, that people would, who are searching for truth, searching for God, would, would, would see this church and come and find the Lord for themselves. The prophecy we looked at was Isaiah 60, and this was a prophecy to, in, in the last days, mainly dealing with Israel, but also prophetic of the church in the last days, that she will arise and shine, that she would take her stand for what's good and right, in the eyes of God. And as the church takes her stand for Christ and shines in the mists upon this darkness in the earth, what the, what the Bible says, what Isaiah said, was nations will be influenced by her. Notice that. Nations will be influenced by her, by her light. And many, it says, will come out of the darkness and be saved. Find the Lord for themselves. Now that's prophetic. This influence of Israel in the last days, the millennium reign, is a whole different topic, but we're, we're, we're applying this to the church age. And that brings us to our title today, if you're taking notes, which is simply the power of influence. Write that down because it's got so many um, interpretations and applications for our life, I think it could speak to each one of us individually, the power of influence uh, in our life. But our first point, there only is two this morning, the first point that I want to look at is the power of ungodly influence. It's good to look at that. Because here's the thing, the truth is, we are influenced more than we realize. 
Just consider that the baby in our video, he was influenced by his father's response in that football match. It seems that Man United scored a goal. The young man was absolutely delighted. The father seemed to be devastated. And very quickly, the son became devastated too. That is the power of influence, isn't it? In the simplest format, that's the power of influence. Then consider cultural influence that we have in our land. Now, there's much, so I'm keeping it very simple today. But just for a simple example, consider how much food and drink has greatly changed in the last 10 years. Just think how going for a coffee has become a minefield. Actually, it wasn't that long ago when we went for a coffee, we went to the kitchen, we opened a tin of Maxwell House and we made a coffee. That's what going for a coffee meant not that long ago. It's a minefield now. We're influenced also by fashion. You might say, well, you're not influenced by fashion. Most of us are influenced by fashion. Now, does anybody know what these are? Does anybody know what these are? Nobody? Crocs. Honest Crocs, very specific. Does anybody think they're fashion? But believe it or not, the young generation call that fashion. Now, my stepfather is from Newtown Hamilton, a real hatchet man, a lumberjack of a man. 30 years ago, he used to have these Crocs. When he came home from work, he put them on over his white socks, got out and got a bucket of coal and go back in. They cost about four pounds then. They were not fashionable. Now 50 pound, I don't even know, but I suspect 50 pound wouldn't buy them, and they're all of a sudden fashionable. My, my stepfather is delighted, by the way. We are influenced by fashion in ways that we don't even realize it's possible. We're influenced by our fathers, by our mothers, perhaps by their cooking skills or lack of, by their baking skills and their parenting skills. We, we don't even realize, we don't become our mother just by chance or even our father. We, we, we have been influenced in such ways as children that we're nearly destined to become like them in, in some ways, in positive ways now, of course. We are influenced by all kinds of people each and every day of the week. Do you ever think of that? By every advertisement, every voice that comes over the radio, for every person you meet, we are influenced. It's, it's unbelievable, actually, when you start to think of that. And this influence can either be good or bad. Now, many can relate to how at some point in our life, especially during our childhood years, that they were led astray by an unruly friend or wayward family member. Anybody here want to occur to admit to that in their childhood? Somewhere along their line, they were led astray. No, of course we don't. What I noticed about this when we were younger is their actions all of a sudden became our actions and were grounded for a week. That is the power of bad influence. And here's the simple truth. Godly influence will do us all good. But ungodly influence has the potential to do us all harm. What I see here is King S's grandfather, Rehoboam, was influenced by his father. Well, who was Rehoboam's father? It was King Solomon. And he was influenced in a good way. Solomon, we are told, loved the Lord. You recall he built the first temple in Jerusalem, Solomon's temple. His heart, according to Scripture, at the start of his reign, was fully devoted toward God. And what we read in the life and, and history of Israel under, under Solomon's reign was that God blessed him and blessed the nation of Israel. But what we also learn in the life of Solomon is that there was a time come when he was influenced in ways that he never expected to be. That his life would take a sharp turn in the opposite direction because of influence. 
He was surrounded by what I always want to simply call this morning ungodly influence, bad influence, whatever way you want to write that down. It surrounded him and it turned his heart, the Bible says, away from God. If you're taking notes, you can read this for yourself. Deuteronomy 17, verses 16 and 17. Now, this bit of scripture that I've just read out, this is instruction to every king that would ever sit over Israel or Judah. It's instructions for appointed kings. I've broken it down to three simple instructions. This is what it says. The king must not acquire great numbers of horses for himself. He must not accumulate large amount of silver and gold. He must not take many wives, or his heart will be led astray. We could, we could interpret that, or his heart will be influenced and led astray. So there's three things. And let it be said that Solomon broke all of these instructions in his life. He acquired, we're told, well over 12,000 horsemen, uh, 1,400 uh, charioteers. He gathered great wealth. He did this by taxing, putting a heavy tax on the people, all what the Lord told him not to do. And we're told he took many foreign wives, not just wives among the nation, but foreign wives. And what happened is this, church, his foreign wives all had foreign gods. And their influence led Solomon into idolatry. That's what we read. Because of their influence, if you like, they're whispered into his ear, Solomon began to build pagan altars. Imagine that. To his wife's foreign gods, and we're told where they were placed on the surrounding hills of Jerusalem, which is the holy city. And that's, where, that's what influence did to Solomon. Not only did it cause him to sin, but he, he caused the nation to sin under him. Now, Solomon was influenced by, influenced by his godly father, King David. Go up to the next generation. And Solomon followed the path of his father, and God blessed him too. But then temptation, or sorry, the temptation which we all wrestle with of wealth, of power, the lust of the eye, mixed, mixed with the influence of his wife's, all led to Solomon's demise. Now, Solomon was influenced in ways that he did not think possible. And here's a wee truth. Ungodly influence is subtle. When it comes our way, it comes in many different forms. It's often disguised as our friend or something that will do us good or better us in life. That's the power of, of ungodly influence. But the sting is always the same. What's the sting? Well, right throughout Scripture, we see people who've been influenced in a bad way, an ungodly way. And what is this? Their hearts turn away from God. I want you to notice this, that Solomon's son, Rehoboam, and Solomon's grandson Abijah, who was Esha's father, their hearts were all turned away from God. And what we read in our text, we looked at it a few weeks ago, they walked in the sins of their fathers. Remember that circle of sin that we keep repeating, make the same mistakes, the same merry-go-round, but our, we never really set free in how Christ can break that generational curse in our life. We don't have to be the man our father was, was the, was the thought. We don't have to be the woman our mother was. We don't have to go to prison just because our forefathers were reared in the prison cell. Does that make sense? We, we, we are not bound by who we were or with the line in which we come from. In Christ, that is all can be broken and a new circle of righteousness can be formed. We, we looked at that. But, but what we see is that whole generation there, all were trapped in this generational curse, if you like, and they all walked in their sins of the fathers. They all made the same mistakes. That's the power of ungodly influence in a family. That's the power of ungodly influence in a generation. That's the power of ungodly influence in a nation. And the truth is, we're not as strong as we think we are. 
and we are certainly influenced more than we care to believe. Now, Solomon was influenced more than he thought possible by his foreign wives. And it's been said regarding Solomon that wisdom only helps us if we use it. Isn't that true? Just because somebody tells you not to stick, or you know not to stick your finger in the fire, and you do it anyway, you get burned, it doesn't mean you're any smarter. You knew what not to do, but you still did it. And, and, and that's the thing. It only helps us if we apply it to our own life. And the scripture has much wisdom. In fact, it's a book of wisdom to, to direct all men to life and to give them the keys that they need to live a prosperous life, if you like, in the things of God and a, a life of, of peace and assurance for the soul. But Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 33. Speaking to the church specifically, he says, Do not be misled, for bad company corrupts good character. I have said before, the birds of a feather flock together. What that simply means is the drunkards, or sorry, the drunkard gathers with the drunkards. The sluggard gathers with the sluggards, and, and so it goes. And together they lead one another down the path of destruction and ruin. And people will influence you and I in our life. And what we need to do is learn to discern as, as adults, but as people of God especially, discern which is bad for us and which is good for us. Let me give you some irony, because irony is a wonderful thing. I want to read some Proverbs. And as you know, King Solomon himself wrote the book of Proverbs, the book of Wisdom. And listen to what he says, My son, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. Another proverb he says, Enter not into the path of the wicked, but, and go not in the way of evil men. Another proverb he says, He that walketh with wise men shall himself be wise, but a companion of fools should be destroyed. See, what I see in these few verses is this. Solomon himself was destroyed by the influence of his of his foolish foreign wives and their unconverted hearts. Now listen, he understood a principle that I want us to take home with us today. It's very simple. He understood that walking with transgressors will cause one to transgress. Did you get that? If you walk with transgressors, you yourself will transgress. He allowed himself to be enticed by sinners. And, and where we get that proof tax, if you like, is 1 Kings 11, verse 4, it says, When Solomon was old, his wife's had turned his heart to follow other gods, and his heart was not entirely, listen, not entirely with the Lord. That's the power of influence. If you can only be influenced to a level that your heart is not just entirely with God. You see? If there's just enough to keep you ticking, just to keep you going, surviving, if you like, that's enough to, to influence in a way that, that the things that God desires to do through you will not be done. If he can just get a bit of our heart to be turned away, lose a wee bit of our seal for God, the impact of that is profound. Be careful, church, of the power of ungodly influence in your life. And as we learn from King Solomon, Paul's word rings true. Bad company without doubt corrupts good character. That's our first point. We're going to come now to our second point and our final point this morning the power of godly influence. We have learned what, in part at least, what bad influence can do to a man, but what about godly influence? And Proverbs 9 and 6 says, Forsake the foolish and live and go in the way of understanding. Now, last week we spoke about maturity. You, you remember, 
The need to be as men and women of God, to be accountable, to be responsible in our faith and our decision-making in life. The path that we're on today is because of a choice that we have chosen to walk. It's nobody else's fault. The choices and the, what we make, the lack of accountability or the lack of responsibility, we can't blame our forefathers. We're, we have to be able to stand on our own two feet. Now, there are many different paths in life, and we get to choose, and we must choose wisely. And there's one psalm that I love. It was a psalm that I shared the day I had to speak to get ordained, to get passed into the ministry. Sorry. And it was, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Blessed is the man. See, to walk with sinners, people who don't know God, if you like, unconverted, to walk with sinners and to receive their counsel is a choice that we make. And to walk the path of godliness and to receive counsel from the Scripture is also a choice that we make. Now, the church, or should I say, those who are born-again believers, the born-again believer, the church has godly influence in the world in which they operate in. That means you've got influence in the world in which you operate in. Now, we see this with Esther. His godly influence brought very quickly two reforms and sent ungodliness packing in Judah. Simply put, he removed all idols. By doing so, this is what happened. He restored true worship in the Lord. When you come to faith, that's what God does. He, he, Holy Spirit, it takes the, the idols out of your life and it puts in true worship, the worship of God. He commanded the nation to seek the Lord of their fathers. He, he was specific in what God. There's many gods today. The God of their forefathers. God's, God of Abraham, Isaac, of, and Jacob. The God who created, the creator God. And, and, and to help us understand what happened there, it was as if Judah became a Christian nation, if you like. That's what took place with that reform. And the nation had peace and prospered, and we're told the people rejoiced. That's the power of godly influence. It brings life. Think of a, as a young person, if you knew a, a godly man or godly woman who took time to speak truth into your life, how that done, did you good. Somebody who just was a good influence in, a, in a, maybe a season in your life when you were lost and somebody just caught your attention in the, in the new God. It brings life. And, and Proverbs says, forsake the foolish and live, it says. Now, I want you to notice this influence that we're speaking about. Look at verse 3. This is, this is his influence in, in, of the land. They, they took away the foreign altars and the high places, broke down the pillars and cut down the Asherah poles. What we see here is that he swept out the filthy idols from the house of Judah. The Holy Spirit moved in, and we read that the nation was at rest. That's the soul that's found the Lord, and the soul that's at peace. See, the thing about godly influence, what I see here, is that it can't be hidden away. Yes, we often like to hide away and do our bit and, and do them things, but godly influence can't be hidden. It, we either influence in a positive way, or we don't influence at all for, for the Lord. And See, the thing about godly influence, it will challenge ungodliness naturally in itself, but also will encourage godliness. And we see that in the nation. When we, say, when we read that Esther did these things, it wasn't Esther by himself. It was the people of Judah, the people of God did these things. It challenged ungodliness, but the, the fruit of that was it encouraged godliness within the nation. That's the power of godly influence. It encourages on in our faith. Now, King Esther chose to set aside ungodly influence, the all, all the ungodly influence he had in his life, and before you can move on with God, you need to set that aside. 
Perhaps before you can come to faith this morning, you need to take that ungodly influence that you've received in your life and set it to the side. Not every influence I had as a child that, that proclaimed the gospel was good. Not every church that, that, that tried to get you saved was actually good in their behavior. You know, what we need to do is look at the Lord Jesus. What was he like? The one that came and sat with the brokenhearted, that sat with the sinner, didn't judge them, but sat among them and let them see the light, influenced them by his very presence and by his word. That's what the Lord Jesus does. And perhaps there's things in our life we need to set aside before we can ever go on with God. But King Asa set aside all this ungodly influence. He chose to come to faith and he sought the Lord for himself. And God used Asa to influence and usher in revival in Judah. But here's the thing, it takes backbone to do what is right in the eyes of God and influence the world around us. Now, King Asa, we're told, took away the foreign altars and the high places. See, that's the power of godly influence. And here's what I see. I wonder what you see. Would you agree with this? Asa's family knew his godly influence firsthand. His enemies knew his godly influence. His friends knew his godly influence. And as a result of what I can, as far as I can see is, his family then turned to God because of his influence. His friends began to turn to God, the nation. His enemies began to fear God. We maybe see that next week. There would peace. Why was there peace around the land, around the borders? Not one other nation wanted to come against him because they seen that God was with them. His enemies began to fear God. And I want you to notice that after Judah was cleansed and God was in the house of Judah, Judah had to be protected from ungodly influences. That's where I want to drive it home for you today. Judah had to be protected. The restored worship of God in Judah had to be protected. The restored worship of God in your life needs to be protected. The light and the witness of God in your life and in Judah needed to be protected. The newly led paths of righteousness and godliness in your life and in Judah's life had to be protected. And here's where we see how. Asa spoke to the people of Judah. Listen to what he said. Let us build cities. Build our cities up and surround them with what? With walls, with towers, with doors and bars. See, we must be not only aware of ungodly influence, but protect ourselves from them. They seek to defile the heart and mind of God's people. Now remember, Judah is the house of God. She was now swept clean from sin by the hand of God. She is born again, if you like. And walls had to be built around her to keep the sin and ungodly influences outside the camp. I want to close with this. A few minutes. And this is the application. The church has been washed clean by the blood of Christ. Yeah? You're saved this morning. According to Scripture, your sin's gone. Past, present, and future. That's, that's, that's the Word of God. It's not how we feel. And she too, the church too, must be, must keep these ungodly influences that would seek to defile her outside of the camp. That means we must build strong, thick walls around our faith with tall watchtowers at each corner. And strong gates and bars that keep sin at bay. Now, what does the wall speak of? The walls speak of defences. What I see in the scripture teaches us the word of God 
keeps us safe from false doctrine and lies that blow us about in the wind and weakens and destroys our faith. So spend time in the Word. Get the promises of God into you. And by doing so, you're building walls around your life. Because when somebody speaks something to you which is not true, you'll either believe it and be influenced by it or you will counteract that with the promises of God. You see that? Poor theology. Well, let's not use the word theology. A lack of understanding of the Word of God or the promises of God in your life will leave you weak and vulnerable. But if you know the Word of God, and some man or some woman tries to have an attack at you, you can God, come back with the Word of God. They are defeated. You're still there strong and protected. Spend some time, perhaps, study Bible is fantastic for simple promises and understand the Word of your life. Then there's the towers. The towers here mentioned is where the watchmen stood keeping watch for the approaching enemy. So these watchtowers speak of the prayer life of the believer. Listen to the words of Jesus. Now there's many, many verses I could have used to show you the importance of the watchtower. I've used one. Jesus says in Matthew 16, 41, watch and pray that you do not enter into temptation. Why? Because the spirit is willing, but this old flesh, this body, is weak. Watch and pray. Get the watchtowers built in your life. Do you wrestle with prayer? Is it any wonder? The flesh despises it. It does not want it. But I promise any of you, and listen, it's not as if I have to tell you, you're mature believers. When you come out of the place of prayer, especially the gathered church prayer, there's a step. There's a wee fire in your walk, isn't there? There's something happens when you're in the presence of God. So Prayer keeps back on godly influences that seeks to tempt us and lead us astray. But it also prepares of his coming. Listen to what Jesus says when he comes in Luke 12, 37. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds on watch when he returns. Be in prayer, church. Cultivate that in your life, both corporately and in your own life. Strong gates and bars, and then lastly, bars secured windows in Jesus' day to be, keep it simple, there was no triple glazing in Jesus' day. Bars secured windows, gates give entrance to the kingdom. You see that? They controlled who came in and what came in and out of the city. These are very important. Gates to the city are important. If you leave your windows open and your house open, people walk through your house, that's how important it is to lock your doors and bar your windows. So it is for your life. Now, each Christian has five gates known as the guardians of the body. These gates are the eye gate, the ear gate, the mouth gate, the touch gate, and the good old nose gate. The only way we can be defiled is if sin enters through one or more of our gates. What we need to do is build these walls of truth around our kingdom. The word of God and the promises of God the ungodly influences that do seek to defile you, the land lose the power over you. You must guard your gates. What's the eye gate? What we look at. Guard what we look at. The Bible says, set nothing wicked before your eyes. It's extremely difficult today to not set anything wicked before your eyes. PG movies has become something of a horror of late. Guard your eyes. The eye gate, what we look at. The ear gate, what we listen to, who we listen to, the influences in our lives. The mouth gate, well, three sermons and one here, but what we speak, 
will influence people in a positive way or a negative way. Would you agree with that? Are you still with me, church? We're still here. What we speak has influence. The touch gate, well, I, was, I wasn't just sure on that. There was many. Well, honesty is perhaps the most standout one. And then there's also envy, touching something that's not ours. Or something that's not ours. Or something that's somebody else's. The touch gate's also important. What we touch can defile very quickly. Then there's a nose gate. Well, I guess that's temptation. But also, why did I say temptation? You ever walking down the road and you smell a nice chip shop? Nice sausage supper or something like them lines, you know? The wife's always tempted. I'm the strong one saying, no, walk on. But the nose gate has different interpretations of how we can be defiled. One of the biggest things in the nose gate is keep your nose in your own business and, and you'll do well. It's not a fair one. I can define myself by sticking my nose in somebody else's business. Temptation is one of the biggest ones. Temptation to, to act and influence in different ways. So Christian, we're finished. Thank the Lord you'll be saying, be aware this morning of the power of influence in your life. Let us surround our body, our holy nation as the Bible calls it, with walls of truth and towers of prayer, well-guarded gates and strong bars that keep the faith out. While there are many influences, church, that we need to keep at bay, let us make sure today that we rely fully on the Lord himself, the protector, who keeps us and guides us. What does the proverb say? The name, of the, the name of the Lord is our strong tower. It never rests on us. It's finished at the cross, but there is defenses that we need to build in to protect ourselves. We also need to let the Lord in. Keep all the things out, but let the Lord in. Maybe you need to do that this morning. Maybe it's been a while from you've let God into your life. Maybe it's been a long time from you've experienced the tangible touch of the Holy Spirit in your life. Well, listen to what the Word says. Lift up your heads, O gates. You're a gate. I'm a gate. What I allow into my life, into my city. I'm a gate. You're a gate. The Bible says, lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ever everlasting doors, that the King of glory may come in. While there's many things we keep out, make sure we allow the Lord to come in. Amen.